preach you in Jesus' name this morning. The title of the sermon is Fidelity or Infidelity? Several weeks ago, uh, I read an article that got me thinking, and uh, it said that a man could be involved in infidelity to his wife without even looking at another woman. And I'm thinking, well, how can that be? And the gist of the article was about financial infidelity. It's when you or your spouse lie, hide, or keep your purchases secret. And so you want something, you don't want your wife to know it or your husband to know it, so you buy it anyhow and then you try to cover up somehow. Or if you or your spouse uh, make agreements about finances and you're constantly breaking them. Or if you or your spouse are making purchases, spending money to the detriment of the other spouse or to the family. Financial infidelity. And then that got me thinking. Well, see, I, I had this tunnel vision of the term infidelity, meaning moral infidelity between a husband, by a husband or wife. And, uh, or we would call that cheating. Husband cheating on his wife, wife cheating on her husband. <clears throat> Current American polls say that 33% of all men cheat on their spouse. Have, sometime or the other. And 19% of all American women have cheated on their spouse. That is incredible statistics. What would you think if I said Brian Hoover's cheating on his wife. What would you think? Anybody? Any couple in this church? Cheating on their wife. Or she's cheating on her husband. You know what? We as conservative Mennonites have historically taken a zero percent tolerance on moral infidelity. I mean, if some guy's cheating on his wife, I mean, like, he better make it right quick or he's going to be out of the church. I mean, and, and We say it does matter. It 
You say, you know, we say, you know, there's some things in life are gray. Yeah, we, 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 uh, you know, we're not quite sure where everything else is supposed to fall out, but this one's clearly black and white. There is no doubt about it. We've got vows involved here. And if somebody came along this congregation and said, you know what, I, you know, cheating on your wife ain't half as bad as we historically have thought about that. You know, it's not half as bad. And you say, what? It, like someone said, my jaw would drop on the floor and I'd have to try to pick it up. It would be shocking to say the least if somebody come up with a theory like that. And it would be shocking and it should be shocking. And we are absolutely right when we say there is zero percent tolerance for moral infidelity. Absolutely right. And then I got to thinking, yeah, but are we absolutely consistent? Why do people cheat on their spouse anyhow? Well, I don't know all the reasons, because I never had to figure them out. I, when I leave in the house in the morning, or I go away for a week of revival meetings, it never even enters my mind whether my wife's going to cheat on me while I'm gone. Never enters my mind. So I don't know why necessarily people cheat on their spouse. But one thing for sure, if they did, it would be because they love themselves more than they love their spouse. That's for sure. Some people cheat on their spouse because they think they can get away with it. I can do it and get away with it. Some cheat on their spouse because they say, you know, <clears throat> if she wouldn't be the way she is, or if he wouldn't be the way he is, then I wouldn't do this. And so they play the blame game, and they say, it's her fault that I am doing this. It is her fault that I am involved in what I'm involved in, and they deny that because it doesn't matter what really she is, I am making a choice to cheat. <coughs> so I'm blaming the choice on her, and I'm just the puppet in the game, and if you had a wife like mine, you'd cheat on her too. You've heard that story. Or the other way around. Your husband was rotten as my husband, you cheat on him too. Don't get any love at home, got to get it somewhere, they say. Why people cheat? The cheater has little, if any, integrity. That's why they cheat. Cheaters feed their passions. They've not learned to say no. They've not learned to take no for an answer. 
And of course, all cheaters lack self-respect. I don't know. It could be piles more. I mean, when you trying to make excuses for bad things, the excuses are endless. <clears throat> but then the question came to me. If I'm a Christian and I am a part of the body of Christ, then who's my spouse? And with the answer to that question in mind, that answer's obvious. Am I a Christian who embraces fidelity or infidelity? Am I practicing fidelity to my spiritual spouse or infidelity? So you may ask the question, what precisely does fidelity mean? Well, fidelity means adherence to something to which one is bound by a pledge or duty. So there has to be an agreement here. Uh, other words, somewhat close, adhesion, allegiance, attachment. Commitment, consistency, dedication, devotedness, devotion, faith, faithfulness, loyalty, steadfastness, all those things are related to fidelity. When it comes to Jesus Christ, am I practicing fidelity? So if you're going to practice, if, as a Christian, if you are practicing fidelity, uh, the, the word itself would imply that there has to be something, there has to be a relationship, there has to be something of a belief system. It has to be something that we're bound to. There has to be a pledge. There has to be an obligation. There has to be some kind of a frame of reference that we're working <coughs> off of. So it has to do with, so fidelity has to do with a system of something that I value, something that I would worship, whether it be the God of heaven or a God that I have fabricated myself, something that I, a framework of reference that I work from. <coughs> then the definition of infidelity. And I found this surprising. I just thought infidelity would just be 
untrue, unfaithful, uh, just not being responsible. That's kind of what came in my mind. But I was surprised at the definition of, in, uh, of infidelity. The term means a lack of belief in a religion. Unfaithfulness to a moral obligation. And now we've got infidelity as a person that's working without a system of right or wrong. So I can live the way I want. I can do the way I want. Um, it's a rejection of religious beliefs so that would attempt to direct or control my life. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it how I want to do it. I want to do it when I want to do it. And nobody's going to tell me what to do, including God. So there's a moral obligation here. There's issues of right and wrong that I'm unwilling to address personally. As an aside here, if I regularly practice infidelity, am, does that make me an infidel? Now, I never connected those two words. But if you take infidelity or lack of belief in a religion, what is that but an infidel? So you can't practice infidelity without addressing a moral issue between you and God. I can't do that. I'm rejecting a system. I'm rejecting a line that has been drawn by God. And if I reject that line consistently, 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 how can I say that I'm a Christian when actually I am rejecting God himself? definition of an infidel is a person who does not believe in a religion that someone regards as the true religion. Or one who is not a Christian or opposes Christianity. So, how serious then is this matter of whether I am a Christian with fidelity or a Christian practicing infidelity when it comes to my spouse, which is Jesus Christ. We are his bride. There's a relationship there. There's a moral obligation. Can I then be a Christian and do what I want, how I want, when I want, to the discredit of my spouse.
Well, what can we learn from biblical accounts that would help us determine whether we are practicing fidelity or infidelity to Christ? Well, what was the first account of infidelity in the Bible? Someone might want to take a shot at that one? Adam and Eve. Half God said, hey, there was a relationship here. God come down, he walked with these people, he created them, he walked with these people, and here comes Satan along. He said, half God said, Adam and Eve was willing to jeopardize their relationship with God for a selfish ambition. And they thought they could get away with it. They thought they could get away with it. Did they get away with it? No. Can I get away with it? Can you get away with it? Even one time? I mean, come on. It's just a difference between an apple or not an apple. Or as one preacher said, it wasn't an apple in the tree, it was a pear on the ground. That was, that was the problem. So I guess that's true too. But You say, come on. It's just an apple whether I eat the apple or whether I don't eat the apple. What's that have to do with the whole big scheme of things? It had lots to do with the scheme of things. Because God said, don't eat of the fruit. And when he said it, he meant it. And it had something to do with the relationship. It had something to do with the agreement between the two parties. Now you compare that with Noah who lived in a world fraught with infidelity. The Bible says there was wickedness everywhere. And God said, I'm sorry that I made man. It was so bad. There was only a couple people left. And Noah could have said, everybody's doing it. Turn to Genesis 6. We'll read about it. Well, we'll start at, okay, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, rampant infidelity to God. And he repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created in the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The whole world may be involved in infidelity, but God's people will not. If we are truly God's people. Numbers don't count. We've learned that in Sunday school, right? 
Numbers don't count. I don't care if it's 450 to 1. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. I tell you what, brothers and sisters, there is nothing, absolutely nothing could be said better of you and I when they lay us out in the pine box than that verse. He walked perfect in his generation. He was a just man, and he walked with God. Nothing better than that. Remember Warren said one Sunday morning, so a lot of things can walk away from your grave, but your reputation won't. Anyhow. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the Lord... And the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark. Thou shalt pitch it within and without, with pitch. This is a fashion which thou shalt make. It up. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of 50 cubits, the height of 30 cubits. The window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit thou shalt finish it above. The door in the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With lower, second, third story shalt thou make it. And behold, I, I even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy, to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee, Will I establish my covenant? Notice that relationship, and Brother Dwight very ably brought that out last Sunday. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and, every, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls of their kind, of cattle of their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And thou and take thou unto thee all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah. Somebody finish it. According to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. Here's a man. That actor with integrity he didn't say, I don't like the 450 foot thing. I mean, that's way too long. We're going 350. You know, and, and yeah, we'll just scale this thing down. And why do I have to have all kinds of animals in there? I'm just like, you know, that's a zoo. You know, I just take a few pets along. No. Noah had a choice. God told him what to do. He had a choice of acting with integrity or lack of integrity. He had a choice of acting with fidelity or infidelity. And you know what happened? When, God, when Noah did exactly as God commanded him, was it any accident that his family was saved? 
Can I as a parent act with infidelity toward God and expect to somehow or the other, some magical equation through some fantastic act of God that all my children's going to turn out okay? Can I expect that? I'm not saying God reach, can't reach down and save anybody's children, but I'm telling you, it's a risk that we can't take. Again, in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 5, And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. No cheating on Noah's part. None. Fatality to God and His Son Jesus Christ brings security. Not only to us, but the saving of our families, our households. Now let's turn to Judges. Judges 13. Here's a man. Samson. 1324. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. A child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshkatol. And Samson went down with to Timnah, and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother, and said, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father's mother said to him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all thy people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me. For she pleased me well. Now I don't understand all what happened here in relation to the to the life of Samson. This following verse is, says in verse four, but his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion occasion against the Philistines. For that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So I'm not sure how God was working in all this. But he went down there and he saw a woman. And Samson was a man that had problem with women. From the get-go. He says, I like what I've seen. Get her for me. And his parents says, come on. There's lots of godly women around. Why do you go down there among the Philistines to get yourself a wife. And he says, I like what I see, get her. Infidelity to his parents' advice. He said, I can date that Philistine woman and get by with it. Did he? You read not too far, he's in bed with a prostitute. And then he ends up in the arms of Delilah, which sold him out for money. And he says, I can get by.
But there's results to fidelity. There's results to infidelity. You know, we can choose our path in life, but you can't choose the results of sin. You're stuck with the results. Now, we can come to God. We can confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But there will always be results. They gouged out his eyes. And he was taken down and put, I assume, on a circular grinding wheel. I wonder how the pretty woman women looked then. Wasn't much to see, was there? Turn with me in a few pages. Absolutely beautiful passage of Scripture, Ruth 1. We have a story of Ruth. And Naomi. Now it came to pass, days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. He came to the country of Moab and continued there. Elimelech. Naomi's husband died, and she was left and her two sons. They took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malan and Chilion died. Also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And she arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her. They went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as he hath dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. And she kissed them. They lifted up their voice and wept. They said to her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should have bare sons, would you tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay with them 
for, stay for them from having husbands. Nay, nay, daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is going out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is going back after other people, and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Ruth, is she going to act with fidelity or infidelity? It's crisis time. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from falling after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Whether thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Here are some people who face some extremely difficult circumstances. The husbands are all dead. And Ruth could have said, you know what? If there's anybody a victim of the circumstances, if anybody has any reason to go back, i got a reason to go back. This is a dead-end street. She could have played the blame game. She could have followed her natural inclinations. But she practiced fidelity to God. She practiced fidelity to her mother-in-law. She chose God. She chose God's people. She chose not to wallow in self-pity. And she chose not to discuss the other options. Verse 18, And when she, Naomi, saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Discussion ended. Verse 17 in the NIV says, reads this way, Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything, but death separates you and me. And then, this preacher had to ask himself, how much commitment do I have to God's people? Do I practice fidelity to my brothers and sisters at Prairie Congregation? Am I willing to badmouth them? Am I willing to say that they're all doing everything wrong? Pick out something in everybody's life? You know, they, they could just be a little better Christian if they just quit doing this and that. And you know, and we can go around and we can find something in everybody's life to complain about and whine about and whatever. But are we committed? Even though we may maybe disagree a little bit, are we committed for the long haul? Am I committed for the long haul?
Do I practice verbal fidelity? Or do I follow my carnal inclinations and pass along all the juicy information? And then how much commitment do I have to God? Ruth could have said, God's not fair. Who else have you seen? Mother, families go and all the husbands die off and they're stuck. God's not fair. Do I practice fidelity to God even though I don't understand the situation? Am I loyal enough to God to know that whatever He does in my life that he has something for me to learn from it? If nothing else, perseverance. Is my commitment to God, to my dying day? One time we was having this minister's, uh, I gave a little insight into what happens when the ministers get together. Alright, so we're, we're talking about Membership transfers, we're talking about uh, baptismal vows, and, uh, and so in the baptismal vows, in this little black book that we have from the whatever, when, when you have your baptismal vows, it don't say that you will stay with the Mennonite church till you die. You don't vow that. Alright? But when you have transfer membership, it says, and will you be loyal to something uh, to this effect to the Mennonite church till you die. And said, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're discussing. Is this consistent? The people who baptize here, they don't say they're going to stay in the Mennonite church till they die, but if people transfer into, 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 the, into the church membership, they got to say they're going to stay in the Mennonite church till they die. And what does that say? Is it almost implying that that's the only church to be? Like, if you're not part of the Mennonite church till you die, like you left God down somehow. Now, don't get me wrong here. I, I appreciate the Mennonite church, whatever. But we're discussing this issue. Is this, should this be in here? And Brother Ernie said, whether it should or whether it shouldn't, that is up for discussion. But to me, it don't make a lick of difference. Because I am in the Mennonite church till I die. That's what he said. Maybe it shouldn't be in there. Maybe it should be in there. You know, but for me, it don't matter. It can be in there, and I'm good with it, because I will be in many church till I die. <clears throat> what was the results of Ruth's fidelity to God and Naomi? Ah, one of the most beautiful romance stories in the Bible. Her fidelity to Naomi maintained her family ties 
So Boaz shows up on the scene. Remember, she's the Moabitess. Boaz shows up on the scene, and because of Ruth's fidelity to Naomi, and the way she supported Naomi, not only was a relative issue brought, solidified Boaz's involvement, but he also watched how she was, do, how she was supporting Naomi, and because of that, this romance developed, and they were married, and Ruth the Moabitess became into the lineage of Jesus Christ. Incredible results. Now, all fidelity and infidelity involves somebody else. I said that before. And because there's some kind of an agreement. Turn with me to Titus 2. I need to wrap this up here. And, and I'm bringing this in because... This is the only place in the Bible that actually uses the term infidelity. I mean fidelity, pardon me. <coughs> Titus 2, but speak thou of things which become sound doctrine. Notice the things that we should practice fidelity toward. Speak thou of things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, patience. The aged women likewise, they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, it cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify us unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Notice all the things we should practice fidelity in. But it says you should practice infidelity to sin. The ungodliness and worldly lusts. You know, as, as an employee, if you are practicing infidelity to your employer, you are blemishing the testimony of Jesus Christ. You have to serve fidelity that we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Do I practice infidelity to ungodliness and worldly lusts? 
Now, if I recall, bring to your memory and to my memory the fact that we have vowed to do that. Now, we're talking marital infidelity. There's a vow here. We have zero tolerance. There's vows here. But there's vows with to practice infidelity too. The question was, are you truly sorry for your past sins and are you willing to renounce Satan, the world, and all works of darkness and your own carnal and sinful desires? And if you said no, you would not be a baptized member of Prairie Mennonite Church this morning. And so it's obvious for that service to proceed, you said yes. And I said yes. So the question comes to me, am I practicing true fidelity to my vow or am I cheating on God? Do I love the world more than I love Jesus? Do I love myself more than I love Jesus? Am I sinning thinking I can get away with it? Am I playing the blame game? Making excuses for my sin? Mentally denying that it's a choice that I'm making? It's somebody else's problem? Does my witness for Christ lack integrity? Can I, do I regularly say no? To my carnal, sinful desires. Am I comfortable with my lack of self-respect as I wallow in sin? Remember, the agreement's between two people, between me and it's between God. God's always God. He never changes. So I can never play the blame game on him. Alright? If there's infidelity, it's going to be on my part. Am I keeping up my agreement with God? You know, something about fidelity... Godly fidelity, you don't ever have to hide. You never have to lie. You don't have to cover up. You don't have to cheat. If for who God wants us to if we are who God wants us to be, we never have to hide. We will be committed unreservedly to God and the church. We will revel in that relationship. We will protect that relationship. We will do everything possible to make sure that relationship is what it should be. 
we will be making wise choices that, in, that ooze with integrity. We will flatly reject our sinful desires. We will know how to say no. We are on our way to heaven. Heaven is our home. And there's, by the grace of God, there's nothing going to stop us now. Praise God.